Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm so glad you're joining us today. This is going to be a live show, and we are going to be talking about how to build sustainable, dementia-friendly communities. And we have uh, Susan uh, McFadden with us, who is just, she's been knee-deep into this for so long, and is just, uh, we've had her on the show before, and it's just such a pleasure to work with, but before I introduce Susan and we and we go down that uh, that road, I do want to just again welcome everybody so much. I appreciate your likes, your clicks, your shares, um, and really getting Alzheimer's Speaks out there into the world. It's just such an honor to host this show. As uh, some of you may or may not know, if you're new, uh, we like to raise everyone's voice uh, from those diagnosed to family members to people who work in the community and have businesses, uh, to those who are advocates, researchers, singers, songwriters, kids, everyone is welcome because I don't think we can have sustainable change unless we include everybody. Um, Now, if you want to call in, the show's number is 323-870-4602. That's 323 Eight seven zero four six zero two, and we'd love to hear from you. I also have to give a shout out too to um, the Mark Arneson Band. They're the ones that did our opening music, and I just love that song, Clarion Call. You can go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music apps. I also have to give a shout out to Coral Health. They are still allowing people to download two of their apps, Music First and Coral Faith, for free during the pandemic. So go to CoralHealth.com, that's C-O-R-O Health.com, and then also the Memory Cafe directory. You know, we've got over a 1,000 memory cafes out there, and uh, Dave has been tracking them in five different countries. Now, with the pandemic, not all of them are in person, needless to say, but there are still plenty you can tap into that are virtual. I happen to do one on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month, which is uh, Arthur's Memory Cafe, sponsored by Arthur's Senior Living, and anyone is welcome to join us. We uh, start at 1 o'clock Central, so that would be 2 o'clock Eastern Time. Just reach out to me. Uh, You can email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com, or you can go to the Memory Cafe directory uh, directly at memorycafedirectory.com. There you'll find even more information than just Memory Cafes. Uh, you, you will uh, find some different tools and information uh, there as well for resources. And then, of course, I have to mention Dementia Map, the global resource directory, Uh, that we just launched the end quarter of 2020. This is for all people uh, to be able to access information around the world, product services and tools. We welcome anyone who has such to go ahead and get listed in there, and I'd be more than glad to give you a virtual tour myself. Uh, Just met with a Louis Body Support Group today, and we just had a wonderful conversation. They wanted to learn all about it, and they were so excited. Um, We'll also be doing uh, some presentations on Dementia Map because we're having so many people ask about this. And so if you're interested in learning more and want to come to a group event on Tuesday, April 22nd uh, from 2 to 3 o'clock Central Time, I will be doing a presentation called You Can't Know What You Don't Know. 
And it's just about a simple way to explore a variety of dementia resources because most of us feel that uh, what is out there is fairly limited. And that is sponsored by Emerald Crest uh, Memory Care, which is a ministry of Cassia. So let me listen. I'm going to put up here really quick uh, a, a little commercial for the Foot Bar Walker, and we will be right back, okay? Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Footbar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the footbar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Well, I just love that Footbar Walker. I got to tell you, I was able to try it out, and it is pretty amazing how you uh, can really reduce anybody getting hurt either by being lifted up um, to a walker and or if you are the care partner assisting them getting hurt as well. Um, I, and I love it because it was built by two friends for two friends. It's just an amazing concept. Um, Let's get to our show today because I know this hour is going to go really fast. We are going to be talking about the need to create and sustain dementia-friendly communities, and we have nobody better to be with us on this topic than Susan McFadden. She is a professor emerita at uh, of psychology at the University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh, and she is the founder of Fox Valley Memory Projects which is a nonprofit that uh, collaborates with people living with dementia and offers them, you know, uh, quite a few different types of programs and services that, you know, they said that they want and they needed. So Susan is one who has really um, just had a really bent ear to listening what community needs were, and then she has the brain and the sass and the energy to put them in play. And if you're not familiar with the Fox Valley Memory Project, check it out because it is one of the best in our country. Susan has um, also written Wisconsin's Best Practice Guide to Memory Cafes. She volunteers at the Memory Cafes, and she organized the On a Positive Note Dementia Choir. Um, she has now written another book called Dementia Friendly Communities, Why We Need Them and How We Can Create Them, which is what we all need to know. So welcome, Susan. I'm just I'm so honored to have you back on the show again. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Uh, thank you, Lori. I'm delighted to be here. And um, welcome to everybody else who's listening in on this today. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that, that you have. And I think Lori has sent out my contact information. So if you think of a question later today or in a week, feel free to send me an email. Yeah, that's when I think of them is after the fact, usually. <laughs> right. so I always have a pen and paper in hand. So again, that number to call in is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Let's start out um, with my first question I ask everybody, and I've asked you this before, but we always have new listeners, so I'd like you to answer it again if you don't mind, and and that is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by anyone who's been uh, diagnosed or, you know, struggling with symptoms of dementia? Oh, yes, and um, where to start? Um, uh, My dad had vascular dementia. And my mom took care of him for 11 years after he had a major stroke that left him hemiplegic. 
Um, I uh, used to show a slide when I was still out there giving personal talks to groups. And uh, in this slide, um, I would show a picture of my parents. My dad was 6'7", and my mother was 5'6". So <laughs> picture that size difference. And so he has this stroke that leaves him paralyzed all on one side, and plus it affected language because it was on the left hemisphere and thinking and, you know, goal setting and all those kinds of things. And she took care of him for 11 years, which was just a remarkable journey. Um, but, I, you know, a combination of the stress of that plus whatever um, susceptibility she might have had genetically, plus all the things we don't know that lead to uh, some type of uh, Alzheimer's, uh, then she ended up with dementia uh, toward the end of her life uh, and, and died in long-term care. Uh, so I have that personal experience. But then you talked about friends, Lori, and I think that's one of the really rich rewards that I've had from working with Fox Valley Memory Project is these wonderful people that I have gotten to know. We started the Memory Project in 2012, and I just, uh, you know, many of them are friends, and um, I just have been with them for the dementia journey, uh, the care partners and the diagnosed persons, and they mean so much to me. They have enriched my life so much. Uh, so I am grateful for all these wonderful people. Um, I sometimes like to say that we are all living with dementia um, because I talk about persons who are diagnosed or persons who have the symptoms of some type of dementia as living with dementia. Um, but then I, I quickly turn to say we're all living with dementia because we all interact with people whether we know it or not. And, and most of us do know somebody who has some type of dementia. I used to teach seminars at the university um, a full semester about dementia. And and students wanted to take that class. People are often surprised that college students would be interested in this, but they are because they are caring for grandparents and they love their grandparents and other relatives who have some type of dementia. So uh, I, I think this is something that touches most people. I, I agree with you. And the friendships, like you said, are, that are developed are so deep. Because uh, yes. we're not just talking about the weather and the ball games, um, you know. We're we're not just filling air. We're really talking right. about all of life and how people are dealing with things. And, and those friendships are they're created so quick and so deeply. I mean, it really to me it almost makes me stand back and go, "Wow," you know, know. Um, because what what we're missing as a whole in society because we're moving too fast. Yeah. Um, is is really too is really too bad. But thank you for sharing that with our with our audience. I really do appreciate that. Now you have written this book called Dementia Friendly Communities: Why We Need Them and How We Can Create Them. So let's start out with, you know, why do you feel that there's a need? Oh, I, I've got several reasons for that. <laughs> um, you know, um, all of us encounter the big numbers, as I call them in this book. And um, I just checked the Alzheimer's Association website the other day, and they're now talking about 6 million Americans having Alzheimer's disease. It had been 5.5 million, and now it's up to 6 million. And we know that the projections are for that number to grow over the next uh, 10 to 15 years as the baby boomers age um, into later life. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so we have no cure. We, we can't, you know, take a pill and fix this. And um, we cannot assume that all these folks having some type of dementia are eventually going to be able to live in some kind of memory care community. Uh, first of all, 
um, most families are not going to be able to afford it because Medicare is not going to help. Um, and, and secondly, um, we, um, we need to find ways for people to stay in the community. That's where they want to be. Um, and while there are many wonderful memory care um, residential communities all over the country, um, they're, they, they can only care for a small percentage of the people who have some type of dementia. And so the the rest of those folks are living in their neighborhoods. They want to shop in their usual stores. They want to go to the post office and the library. And and we need to make sure that their communities um, are prepared to um, uh, interact with them in a way that is helpful and that is um, I, my husband and I talk about patience and kindness. You know, we all need more patience and kindness. And that's what folks with dementia are looking for from their communities. But that takes some education. And that's what we need to do um, in the coming years, is to make sure people understand how to offer that patience and kindness. I agree. So, and I think... I think one of the other factors, too, is, you know, just changing what this is. Who gets yeah. this? You know, uh, because there's such fear. And in America, we have done such a fantastic job about raising funds to scaring the bejesus out of everybody instead of supporting people through a crisis. And, um, and you know, you're seeing that change now through dementia, all the dis- different dementia-friendly initiatives and things. Oh yeah, and and you know we have the we have dementia uh, friendly America, you know the DFA, mm-hmm. um, which has 350 communities that they have certified as dementia friendly because they have, you know, followed through on their toolkit, and I've worked with them now on an evaluation tool for communities to use to you know see how well they're doing at this but not not all communities join up with dementia friendly community um or dementia friendly america rather um but they still can you know get on board with the thinking about this um you know another reason i wanted to write this book was because there are some terrific toolkits out there as you know you're in minnesota so you know that one of the first ones came out of minnesota the act on alzheimer's group yeah and um so there are these wonderful toolkits that really take communities through step by step all the different sectors of the community that they need to be in touch with but i wanted to kind of take both a broader look and a deeper look at this whole issue about um, being a dementia-friendly community. So it it was not going to be a toolkit because they're already available, um, but I wanted to do something different from that and, and have us think about um, some of the history that has led up to this moment. Uh, and And I wanted to get the voices of people having dementia into this book. So things like that that couldn't be addressed in one of the um, practical toolkits that are out there. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really important, and I love how you've always um, been so respectful of the voice of dementia and the families. You know, uh, that those two voices are critical because we can't meet the needs if we don't really know what they are. Right, and you know, I've often said to people, I I wish the um, book title could have been longer, uh, because <laughs> it really should be dementia-friendly and inclusive communities, um, mm-hmm. because it's that inclusion that we need to emphasize. Uh, you know, we should not just you know, get a group of people who don't have dementia together and say, oh, let's do this good thing. Uh, we need to talk to the folks who actually are living with dementia um, personally to find out what they want from their communities. And that's what was so inspiring to me initially um, from um, England when I read 
you know, documents that came out in 2011, 2012, something like that, where they were quoting at length from interviews with people all over the country about what they want from their communities. Uh, and, and, you know, that just impressed me so much, and we need to continue to do that. Yeah, I, the U.S. is, I mean, you're seeing more of the patient advocacy. Um, but again, you know, patient advocacy in the past here, in my opinion, has always been others speaking for the patient. <laughs> and, right. you know, true patient advocacy is allowing them to have a voice and have a mm-hmm. say and not just be, a you know, a token horse in the room that says, oh, we've got one. Um, but really embedding them in the process and valuing what it is they have to say in the conversation. And, and that's, a, that's a big shift. Yes, um, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and we did that from the very beginning, and I think that's um, really contributed to our ability to establish Fox Valley Memory Project, we got some small planning grants, and anybody who's considering doing this, I highly recommend this. Uh, just It doesn't take a lot of money, but um, uh, we got these planning grants. We put on a community breakfast uh, where we invited uh, thought leaders, stakeholders, as they're sometimes called from the community, but we also invited people living with dementia and their care partners. Uh, mm-hmm. And we had um, just uh, we had scrambled eggs and toast. I mean, it was nothing fancy, uh, but um, we had um, a few people give very short talks, and then we went into a think tank um, where we really dug into, you know, what do we have in our community right now? What is what what things in our community do we value that we think we might not have access to if we did have some type of dementia? And boy, we we heard a lot from people living with dementia, um, and and this was eye opening for some of those stakeholders. Um, so um, I think starting that way has uh, just really been very very helpful for us. Um, because we were listening to their voices, and we've continued to do that. Yeah, I know when I speak, uh, you know, at conferences, I, I for years and years have been advocating to get their voice raised. And it's so funny because, you know, during the conference, if it's a if it's a panel or if it's an individual speaker or if I'm doing a, a one-on-one interview with them, every single time people have come up and said, "This has been the most valuable." session out of everything and uh-huh. they're shocked and they're shocked and they're people that have been in the business for you know 20 and 30 years and going oh my gosh I, I really I had this wrong or all of a sudden they're affected by it personally within their own family and then they see oh my gosh the needs are really different than what I thought they were and so having that inclusive um, continuity is just so important um it, it just it makes such big difference um in looking at even the questions that you asked you know what do we what do we have right now i think looking at what are what are our resources and i think so often and please uh, disagree with me if you don't uh you know or, or expound on this but i think so often we we think our resources are dollars and cents and our right. resources are so much more than that. Right. You know, it's it's contacts, it's motivation and passion, it's it's sure it's money, but it's buildings, it's it's copy work, it's you know, graphic work, it's the ability to speak. And when you you pull people together that are passionate, those things I have found, they just fall into place. People can't wait to give it away. You know, um, especially when they don't have the money, they're like, well, well, I've got the time, I've got the energy, or maybe I don't even know about this, but I'm willing to learn if it's going to help the group move forward. So starting with what do you have and looking at that in a realistic fashion, I think is, is so important. And then, you know, who's, who's in the group as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I think, um don't you think sometimes we had this belief that we had to have certain 
um, organizations or people with titles to be <laughs> substantial, you know, to, so people take us seriously. I, I don't know. That's my experience. Uh-huh. With, and, and, I, and I'm saying not even just in the world of dementia, but just in the world in general, that people think sometimes to be valued, those are their goals. And if they have those kind of little podiums and pillars within their group, they'll be taken more seriously. And mm-hmm. I have found that not to be true at all. What, what have you found? Oh, I think that's right. Um I I mean um you need a you need a good mix. Um mm-hmm. and um sometimes you, you you know you do need those people because they give you access to um other people who can be mm-hmm. helpful uh, and as well as funds uh mm-hmm. in terms of uh how do you find support for your efforts. Um so we were fortunate uh, at the beginning to have a wonderful geriatrician who was um, all on board with helping us as we established Fox Valley Memory Project, and um, she was certainly a good champion for us. Uh, and, um, you know, then other people who came on board later, uh, they had their own kinds of skills to share with us and that was great and and just thinking about all the different parts of the community that um it doesn't take a whole lot to uh get them engaged with this topic i'm before the pandemic we we always have to do this before and after thing (laughs) right now (laughs) but uh before the pandemic we had a very um, active Purple Angel program. Do you know the Purple Angel program oh, yeah. from England? Yeah. Yep. And uh, so we were training businesses and organizations um, all over our region, which is northeast Wisconsin, uh, in how to basically do what I was saying before, be show patience and kindness to people who have some type of dementia. And one of the last Purple Angel trainings that I did uh, was in a bank. And so the manager of the bank asked me to come, and uh, I met with um, everybody who worked there uh, before the bank opened in the morning. And I did a presentation just kind of giving what I sometimes call Dementia 101, kind of the Mm -hmm. basics about it and and talking about resources in the community and and then specifically talking about how they as people in the banking industry have a huge role to play um with this topic because you know people who have a type of dementia can be very confused about finances um i know that happened to my mom who used to be really good at balancing her checkbook and then she couldn't do it anymore. Um so um so you know I was I was speaking in general about dementia and being a dementia friendly community but then I was focusing on um the particular concerns that they might have working in a bank. Uh and afterwards so, you know, that the bank is about to open and I'm finished with my talk. Well, several of the employees came up to me with their personal stories and their questions. And it just indicated to me how um, this topic is is so relevant to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, here's a story that just amazed me. Uh, this happened in a different uh, setting, but... It was a banker from one of our leading banks in our city who told about how a woman having dementia would come into the bank to talk to him and she would empty out her purse, which had all her pill bottles in it, and she had one of those pill sorters, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, and she wanted his help in distributing the pills for the days of the week because he was a banker and he was somebody she trusted. Yeah. And 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 here he is, he's a guy in a suit and tie, you know, who's used to dealing with, you know, trusts or something and and she's asking him to help her sort her pills. 
and and so I you know I told this story to the bank people that I was meeting for the Purple Angel training, and I said, you know, people do trust you, and and you need to learn how to respond helpfully and appropriately um, when things like that happen. Yep. Very true. Well, and there's so many scams out there, too. I've had um, two friends. One really struggled with a bank, and the bank was not very helpful, and the bank was actually within a senior community. They ended up doing a lawsuit over it, and the family lost, which I thought was really sad because it was a repetitive abuse, and it was very noticeable for the staff. Um, and the daughter had gotten involved and said, don't, you, you can't let her take this money out. She's, you know, paying these people and they tried to put stuff in place. It was a nightmare. But then I just had something happen to another friend. And this wasn't a bank, but this was a business. It was Target. And uh-huh. the, my, my friend got scammed. And she was told to go to Target and buy like $4,500 worth of gift cards. And then oh, while she, before she left, she was supposed to call them with the, the numbers, the SKU numbers uh-huh. of them. And Target realized that, and they swooped around to my friend, and they, she said there was three of them. And they said, we are not doing any more of these transactions. This is a scam, and you need to put that, because they told her to get cash and do it, so it wasn't trackable. And they said, you take that cash and you get back to your, put it back in your bank. Um, but they they saw those red flags. But that is, I mean, that saved the family, um, even though that they, they needed to do some work um, still around that to avoid that in the, in the future. Um, but that saved them huge issues and was sure. supportive and and things. And there's so many things like that going on that community people can step up as an organization or just as an individual. If you're in a grocery store and someone's struggling. In front of you, you know, I mean, I know, especially when I was younger, I'd be the first one to roll my eyes and do a big heavy sigh, like, oh, come on, you know, (laughs) which doesn't doesn't help. Um, So there's many levels, I think, to this. And I love that you're out there, you know, training the businesses and and letting them have those those personal conversations, because I think those stories are how we learn and how we change. Right, um, our, our approach to things. And one of the wonderful things that we've been able to do, kind of going back to the theme of dementia inclusion, is that um, we have encouraged our folks who come to our memory cafes uh, to to tell us, you know, is there a business or an organization where you've been treated particularly well? Um, Mm -hmm. and where you have been shown patience and kindness um, because we'd like to lift them up, or is there a business or organization that has not treated you well because we'd like to go in and and offer them our Purple Angel training uh, Mm -hmm. so so that that way our folks who are a part of our uh, community through our memory cafes, primarily through our memory cafes, um, they feel like they have a role to play. Uh, so they are ambassadors for the Purple Angel program. And, and that's just been terrific, uh, that they feel like they can really be helping their communities um, in this way. Yep. I know when my mom died, I took the Purple Angel and I had that as part of her obituary. And the oh, paper nice. said, oh, they said, oh, we, we don't have that symbol. And I'm like, well, you need it. <laughs> 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 and they said, well, usually we charge for that. And I said, I don't, I'll pay for it. Um, but, but I think they ended up waiving it and just doing it. Um, but again, that's another way to, to raise it or people can put that, um, you know, symbol on their, their checks mm-hmm. or, you know, right. all different types of things. It doesn't have to cost money to and it's the whole purple angel for people who aren't aware of it is really just to get people to have a conversation to bring up what is that so it opens the door for further Uh education and stuff which is wonderful well let's let's talk about you know in your mind can you give us i don't know 
a few criteria of what you think a dementia-friendly community looks like. I can't believe we're down to 25 minutes left of the show already, and it's just like <laughs> I, I, could talk, I could talk with you all day long. You know, um, I love this topic. But why don't we give some people some meat about what it really looks like and what, you know, what are some things well, that they should Well, um, all communities are going to have their own individual identities, and and we've got – small towns where people know one another and they know you know they know each other's aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins so you know that's one type of community where um they they may know folks who have a dementia and uh they accept this person because you know, this was their former math teacher or this was the guy who worked in the garage where they always got their car fixed or whatever. Um, so those kinds of communities um, may already be dementia-friendly without being intentionally dementia-friendly, mm-hmm. if you understand what I mean. Yeah. Um, but but then we have um, we have suburbs, we have suburban communities where people have moved in from lots of different places and they may not know each other um and that's where you're going to need a little more intentional effort but what we hear from people living with a dementia is that they they want these communities to be places where the greatest number of people with dementia can live a good life you know mm-hmm. that's a pretty wide open definition <laughs> um yep. people will have different ideas of what it means to live a good life but uh can i go to my favorite park and feel safe there walking around um uh can i uh go to my grocery store and you know feel like if i need help people will give me help and they won't be impatient with me uh can i go to my library uh and and what if i can't figure out how to do the self checkout um will somebody help me without shaming me um things like that that it's the it's the things we all take for granted in our communities that folks living with a dementia want to continue to experience. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned libraries, and one of the things I love is, you know, we're seeing libraries uh, across the nation now have um, a a segment of the library just for dementia. Um, Mm -hmm. I know our our Roseville one, well, we have several of them in, in Minnesota where they've gotten grants to do things, and they have kits people can sign out and even in uh you know with the pandemic people haven't been able to go to the library so some of the um health services are now getting those packages and then they're sending them out they're dropping them off and picking them up with families and rotating them through so they're all working together you know for the greater good and i just i I just warms my heart you know when you hear stuff like that because it's not it doesn't have to be complicated, and I think that's no. what everybody thinks right away. It's, oh, it's too much to do, and it's like, just start. Do something. It doesn't have to be big, but just make progress, you know, and that's how things change. And, right. Um, you know, and it's it's so fun to see the creativity. I love that you mentioned the, you know, every community has their individual needs, which is true. They don't all have to be alike. Um, Just like memory cafes are all different, you know, um, when we actually listen to what do people want with them. And, and uh, uh, it's just a, it's a neat thing. You know, there's a, the saying, what's good for dementia is good for the world. And I really truly do believe that I haven't learned one thing that isn't applicable to the rest of my life. That's a negative in any fashion, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, and, you know, and then once you dig into it a little bit deeper, I mean, like Dementia Friendly America, they've got that, as I mentioned, that toolkit. And mm-hmm. and so that'll guide you through thinking about the physical environment. Um, yep. It'll uh, guide you through thinking about housing, okay? You know, because as I said at the outset of this conversation, we are not going to be able to build memory care communities for everybody who has a dementia, and nor should we, 
I mean, even if you could, you wouldn't be able to staff them, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're all struggling with staff right now. Um, and, and so we need to think about how we can make these communities work for people. Um, one of uh, an enormous need across the country, uh, certainly we see this locally, is for adult day services. We mm-hmm. do not have enough adult day services. They're expensive to operate, um, and staff and and you know physical environment can be expensive to set up, et cetera. But but you know that is very helpful to people. And then you know so some churches have stepped forward. Uh, do you know the Amazing Grace people down in um, Houston? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and um, so well, they've been around for a while, but they've got an amazing operation um, where they had this collaboration of faith communities that came together to say, okay, we will work together to create this um, adult day program that families can use. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are still trying to work a full-time job plus take care of their mom or dad or husband or whoever. Um, and um, so, you know, that that's a big gaping hole in a lot of communities is that, that opportunity for some kind of respite for the care partner and yep. also for engagement, creative, stimulating engagement for the person who has a type of dementia. Yeah. I think one of the problems, though, too, is, you know, everyone knows pretty much what adult day is, um, but nobody, if you ask them, do you want to go, says, yeah, sign me up. And part of that is our verbiage, which, you know, we've changed, we're, we're in the process of changing a lot of verbiage from getting people not to say behavior, but that it's a reaction, you know, it's a clue for us. Or instead of saying caregiver, saying care partner, care companion, because our words affect our outcomes and our mindset. So, you know, I think one of the other things we have to really look at is with adult days is maybe we start calling them clubhouses or community centers or something that is more normal that everybody enjoys going to. Right. We have the the only one we have in our region is called, it's at a long-term care community and it's called Club Gabriel. So it's a club. Yeah. Okay. And um, I love that, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I would love to see one of my great ambitions <laughs> for the world is to see um, more opportunities for people living with dementia to give service to their communities, um, to feel like they can volunteer in a meaningful way, um, in a way that. Um, doesn't tax them overly, you know, mm-hmm. um, but still gives them the opportunity to give back. Um, and 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 certainly we do that through the arts. I mean, our dementia chorus will, when the pandemic ends, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. we will be able to um, give uh, concerts again and to say to the community, look, come and listen to our music. And this will bring you joy. And and these folks living with dementia are going to do this for you. Um, and and so we really need to think creatively about how a dementia-friendly community can in, not just do things for people who live with dementia, but with them um, and enable them to continue to feel like they can be valued parts of the community. Absolutely. I think the Giving Voice Choir in um, Minnesota still did their concert, but they did it virtually, Right. if I'm not, not mistaken. And, um, you know, there's so many ways to get back. We had uh, one gentleman that was in our memory cafe, and he was a volunteer at the park, and he would drive on a little golf cart um, and, you know, just make sure everybody was okay. And then one day he, there was an incident, and he didn't handle it quite right. Um, nobody got hurt or anything, but uh-huh. you know, to fix that, all they have to do is partner that person up, right, with somebody, and still allow them to participate, yes. to give right. back, and to to help. 
Um, yep. You know, we all want to feel purposeful. So, I mean, there's just there's just different things we have. We have to look at doing things different. Um, well, and, and I'll tell you another one. Um, mm-hmm. I called this uh, the third rail. Um, you know, nobody wants to touch the third rail. Uh, and um, I called that this in our book uh, was that we have people now receiving the diagnosis at a younger age, right? Yep. Yep. And many of them are still employed, mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, if and they get their health insurance through their employer. So what happens when they get a diagnosis of some type of dementia? Um, you know, it's just devastating for them and for their families who they're supporting, and we really need to look at this very carefully i've been corresponding with somebody this morning about this um that we need to talk to hr people we need to talk to businesses to say look you have employees who may be showing some signs of some type of dementia how are you going to deal with that right yeah how are you going to accommodate that this is an enormous challenge um for um all kinds of uh, businesses and organizations. And it's one that, um, you know, you talk to HR professionals, they know it's out there and they don't want to deal with it. Um, We did a community gathering a a few years ago of HR people to talk about this, and they all had stories to tell. But but they weren't sure what to do, you know. um, Can they fire this person? Um, Can they reassign this person? Can they, what, how, you know, how can they deal with the person who's showing some sign of dementia? And this is is an issue that is coming down the road now. We usually, you know, we think about dementias for very old people, but it's not that way. So no. I remember one gentleman who was in my dementia chats where we, you know, we talk about, we do videos of all different types of topics and stuff where they're the experts. And he, he shared the story. He worked, um, I want to say it was as a nurse, um, in the healthcare field. And he found out because he had to take his annual physical and the doctor reported it to HR, and HR fired him for having dementia. So oh there he gosh. is sitting alone, lo- losing his job, and then told, see you later, go get in your car and drive. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, that's like the worst possible scenario ever. Absolutely. But I, re- yeah. I remember my mom scared to death. She was a proofreader for Deluxe Check, and she put together a three-ring binder, and she would carry that back and forth to work, back and forth to work, because she didn't dare leave it at work because she didn't want anyone to know that she had that, but she could finish her process if she got stuck. Uh But it was horrible, the stress that hung over her. And, you know, we all know stress uh, does not uh, do this disease any favors. Um, in any stretch of the form so yeah we we really there isn't um there isn't an organization or a person that doesn't need to be educated on this because it affects so so many people how do we get people started at creating you know dementia friendly where do you think they should reach out to first well um who you know Hopefully, there are some, um, you know, people in the community who understand that this is a need in the community. Um, Sometimes people will reach out to uh, their faith communities um, Mm -hmm. and to talk with them, talk with pastors and lay people um, about what they might do for folks living with dementia. Um, sometimes people will do this through service organizations. Um, I remember when we were first starting Fox Valley Memory Project, I went to the local Rotarians and I said to them, you know, um, your brother and sister Rotary people in England have started yep. all these memory cafes. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have an opportunity to 
do that too. Um, so you just kind of need to get the stories out there. And, and you know, frankly, one of the sad things that has happened in our community is that our local newspaper is nothing like it used to be 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, it, it barely has any local news in it. Ten years ago when we started Fox Valley Memory Project, uh, they were putting us on the front page. And mm-hmm. that was fabulous because that really told people about what we were trying to accomplish and, and you know, about the memory cafes, et cetera. Um, and so we need to figure out new forms of communication. Obviously, social media is one opportunity, um, but we need to do that well. Uh, and um, just as many uh, ways as possible to get the word out to people. Um, as I say, uh, I taught those classes to my college students, um, and they were very interested. So, if, you know, we can engage young people is a great thing to do. We've got a curriculum over here in Wisconsin that can be used in health classes uh, to teach high school students about dementia. I just finished 10 weeks of classes um, with a local high school. Uh, it, was a, it was actually a chorus uh, class, and um, they were learning about music in dementia. Uh, and um, before the pandemic, we had hoped that we could have a concert featuring this high school chorus and our chorus, um, but now we're going to have to do it virtually. But you know, just to think creatively and, and also to engage the artists in the community. Um, there's just so many wonderful opportunities for artists to be involved. Um, as you know, I've been um, very active with time slips um, mm-hmm. since the beginning, and and they've got terrific programs uh, where they engage artists in working with folks in the community as well as um, when people's community is a residential community. Uh, so, you know, there are lots of great ideas out there that we can harness. And thanks to you, Laurie, I'll give a little pitch to you <laughs> because, you know, you've done a very good job of getting the word out to people. Um, so we just need more of that. Yeah, they, you know, some other places too would be even your own city, you know, talking with the police and the fire department and the city oh, manager, you know, yep. Rose, Roseville, um, you know, our dementia friendly group is a, is a grassroots group. Um, but I still think, and I could be mistaken, but I still think we're the only one in the nation where the city has devoted a page on their official city page to us for our group. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And so, you know, more of that needs to happen. And, you know, we were told, oh, it won't work. It's going to be too costly and too time consuming. But a lot of it is static. And then we just kind of update the calendar and some articles. And, and you know, that's about it. But uh-huh. you know, every time we post something, it just it stays. It lives on. And um, it, it's been a, just a really, really nice collaboration with the city. It's it's um and, you know, and you can search the city site and put in Alzheimer's and dementia, and something will pop up. Where you can That's do that great. To, you can do that to a lot of hospitals and clinics, and nothing pops up. That's you right. Know? So, so we we got some work to do, but it you know it could be a doctor, it could be a librarian, you know, it might be your neighbor that is willing to to help you move this along, and mm-hmm. you know just by having the conversation. It moves it along, and you will attract like-minded people. They they come out of the woodwork um, to help, you know, and you want the right people. You want the ones that want to be part of the group, not that are assigned there because their boss t- told them that they had to be there. Because, it, it, I don't know, I just totally believe the passion um, just makes such a big difference. And, um, and, again, being inclusive, get those families involved. You know, they're, yep. they're the ones at stake and they know it, mm-hmm. you know, and they want to help the, they want to help the next person. Um, oh gosh. Oh, we're, we're down to five minutes. Can you believe this? <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> so um, what else would you like us to know? And then we'll make sure that we get your contact information out to them. But uh, like I said, we could talk forever on this topic. 
Yeah, um, I think this is just the beginning, Laurie. Um, And um, I think that we need to figure out how we can um, affect people's attitudes because there's still so much fear and associated with that is the stigma. And what we hear all the time is that people's friends fall away from them. I just had a conversation last night with an old uh, college friend from 50 years ago, and uh, she talked about how her next-door neighbor uh, had dementia, and she didn't know how to talk to him. She didn't know what to say to him. And so she was feeling bad because she kind of recognized that she had sort of withdrawn from his wife and, and from him. And, you know, there are some wonderful resources out there that can help people learn how to communicate with folks having dementia, but we need to face up to our own fears because that's what often drives us away from people having dementia because we're all worried that we might have it, right? Yeah. And and you you know you talked about language earlier oh my gosh <laughs> we could spend a whole hour talking about that um you know i mean i used to be at professional conferences where i would see folks get up in front of a big group and talk about the epidemic of alzheimers mm-hmm. and and now we are living in a pandemic and and we've got to stop talking about this epidemic of alzheimers because that implies that it's contagious and mm-hmm. it implies also that the way you deal with it is by isolating people, which is exactly what you don't want to do. Uh, so, um, it, you know, just really examine some of these things we take for granted uh, in our language, in our attitudes, our assumptions about ourselves and other people. We're all vulnerable, Lori. And we yeah. need to recognize that. Well, you know, and one of the things you mentioned was, you know, uh, this woman, you know, pulled back because she didn't know what to say. Right. We commu- most of our communication is not through words, guys, you know. And so we have to understand that and appreciate that and slow down and take that in. What is mm-hmm. our body language saying to somebody? What are we picking up from somebody else? I mean, some of my most precious moments with my mom during my 30-year journey with her was just sitting in silence in her presence. Yep, just, absolutely. Just being together. And, you know, think about that. It's not about feeling air. It's about feeling comfortable where you right. are. And right. we can give that to a person with dementia, and we can receive that from a person with Absolutely. Dementia. Absolutely, you know? yes. And, and... And, and, you know, something else that I emphasize all the time to people is that um, we need to be willing to journey with people for the whole journey, right? Yeah. And and it's, this is not just about folks in the so-called early stages. I don't really care for stage language, but um, this is for being with people for the long haul. And there will be good days and there will be bad days. Right, and I remember going. There are in your life right now with anybody, (laughs) right? Um, And and so um, we need people to understand that and to be tolerant of that. Yeah, yeah, more compassion, more empathy, and you know, slowing down and thinking before we talk or or we react. I want to make sure I get you uh, Susan's uh, contact information. Her email is Susan. dot h dot mcfadden at gmail dot com that's susan s u s a n dot h as in hammer dot mcfadden m c f a d d e n at gmail dot com you can find her book on Amazon. We've also got the link there for you. And then I'm just going to give a plug because another thing this wonderful woman is doing is a memory camp. And I'm so sorry we don't have time to talk about that, but you can reach out to her. Um, this is, I believe, your second one. I think you did the first one. Was it last year? 
No, we've done two, two, and then we couldn't we couldn't meet last year, and but we are going to have camp this year in August. So okay. yes, wonderful. And again, don't forget to get her book, Dementia Friendly Communities: Why We Need Them, How We cre- How We Can Create Them, and Know You Can Be a Part of That. Thank you again for sharing your time with us, Susan. Uh, thank our audience so much for listening. Please like, click, and share. This is a critical, critical piece in changing our world and making it a better place. Bye for thank now. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.